Welcome. You're listening to WO Voices, a podcast series from Women in Optometry magazine. I'm Marjolyn Bailefeld, editor of Women in Optometry. We're delighted you could join us. We're here with Dr. Carol Alexander, head of professional relations at Johnson & Johnson Vision Care. Hi, Dr. Alexander. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to, to spend time with you and to talk about advocacy and leadership in optometry. Are leaders born or are they made? What's what's your strategy? <laughs> you know, I, I, I suppose I would actually answer that question based on my own life. And I would say leaders are made. Uh-huh. But I also know that there are probably some people where they just have that God-given talent. So in my case, though, I, I would say what's important to know about leaders being made is that sometimes we don't know from within that that leader is going to be us. It's important to know that you, too, might have just what it takes, if the circumstances are right, to become a leader. And for you, you've become somewhat of a leader here in, in advocacy for uh, optometry, for the optometric profession, mm -hmm. and uh, for, for patient advocacy. Mm -hmm. um, how did that come about? Was that inside your comfort zone, or did you, was that thrust upon you? <laughs> you, you know, I, I would say, outside my comfort zone, but has become a comfort zone. Uh -huh. And why I say that is even as early as when I was a student, we were just moving the profession to the use of diagnostic and therapeutic agents. I just happened to be my class president at the time that was going on. And so suddenly it was like we, the students, had to be involved. So that was like the catalyst, that beginning, that first seed, where I watched the process unfold. All we were doing as students was writing letters, but what you found was that simple act of writing a letter was part of a greater whole. And so then as time goes by, you find that you have perhaps a greater confidence and more that you can add to the story. Mm -hmm. And you've also found yourself in some um, positions where you really needed to, to advocate on sort of a national level. Um, that's correct. Um, there have been some times in the recent past where, you know, um, positions that we took at Johnson & Johnson were challenged in some of the states. And so when that occurs, you have to look to the people that are within your ranks and say, who do we have who may have had some experience with state legislatures? And as a past state association president, um, I had that. Mm -hmm. And so it turned out that I was asked to be the voice for Johnson & Johnson in front of many committees across the country when those issues were taken up. And so it's from, again, that past experience, one building on another, that you find yourself in a position where you too can add a greater voice and it will help not just the company you work for or the profession that you represent, but I think most importantly throughout all of that is the connection to the patient the conviction that what you're doing is somehow in relation to making lives better for the patients who are going to use the products or the services that you provide. So this patient-centered philosophy, is that what advocacy is built on? I think advocacy oftentimes is misunderstood. People believe that advocacy is, I work in front of a legislative body. But advocacy is really just giving voice to someone who may not have it Mm. or may not know what they don't know. So advocacy starts, in the, in the terms of, of the profession, 
with every patient every day, with the people that we interact with, friends and family, where if there is an issue that's important, particularly in the space of eye health, let's say, that we're not simply letting the conversation be told or the story told by someone else, but that we are making sure that we are having those appropriate conversations one-on-one -on -one with all the people that we interact with. So what's the step between advocacy in the exam room and taking it onto a, a, a larger platform? So I think, you know, for each person we have advocacy in our, in our daily activities. So with the people that we know and the people we encounter. Then as you go to a next step, what does that mean? For most of us in the profession, that's a step that has to do with our activities in our state association. So volunteerism, where you begin to really know the talking points of an issue that's important to everyone in the profession. And then from there, what are those committee assignments that you might partake in that make you, frankly, a subject matter expert that then can be tagged and asked to actually talk to a legislator and then perhaps even testify? So when you've been asked to, to do that, how do you prepare yourself? You know, and this is, again, something learned, right? Leadership is learned, I said at the beginning. But preparation for any of these events. You know, first of all, you just sort of have to go, after you get over the, oh my goodness, you're asking me to do that? <laughs> Which, of course, I had, you know. Uh -huh. It was like, it's very intimidating at first. But once you realize that people are just people, the way you prepare is to think about at least for me, if I were arguing this position on the opposite side of my position, because there's someone equally as passionate about my subject matter on the other side, mm -hmm. if I can think about the other side, it helps me formulate the path of the conversation that I think will be most likely to be understood, but it also calms me down because then I'm not going to be right. threatened or scared yeah. by that awkward question because hopefully most of them I've pre-thought through. Right, right. So they're not surprising you with, with, their, uh, yes. with their input. And, and how does the patient fit into, into that argument, the pro-con kind of a, an, an argument? You know, I, I think on the, on the pros and cons of any side, it behooves all of us to make sure that the arguments that we're making are people-centered. So in the case of a profession, that's generally going to be about a patient because a patient is, again, the end user of a medical device that Johnson Johnson may make, or the end user of a service that an eye care professional might provide in terms of an eye examination. Right. So if we are in the conversation on something where that patient will be impacted, then the impact we make on the position that we're taking has to be one that's good for the patient. And I think mm -hmm. whenever we can frame it that way, that's the best place to be. And oftentimes, and I can't think of an example of why you would ever be in a conversation that doesn't put the patient in the middle. Right. So what was the most intimidating or the, the, the event or position that put you most out of your comfort zone? I, frankly, the most intimidating in this, in this journey in advocacy was when I was young and, and just a new practitioner. And it turned out one of the senators in my state was a patient in my practice. Mm. And the state association representatives called me and said, Carol, we need you to talk to the senator on behalf of our therapeutic legislation. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, who am I? I, I, I 
no, <laughs> really? And, and that was, it was very intimidating, very scary, but that's when I also learned that what a doctor has to offer in the conversation is so terribly valuable mm -hmm. and valued by our policymakers and lawmakers. Because if you think about it, when you, you know, it's a representative government. When you're elected, you have things that you're expert at, but probably everything else that you're asked to make a decision on, you have no idea. So they really look to the relationships that they have with people in the community mm -hmm. for their expertise. Mm -hmm. And guess what? As a new practitioner, you have all kinds of expertise in the space of, of the eye, eye care, eye disease that you can lend to the conversation. But it was most intimidating to be asked. And I think <laughs> that was the, the start for me that said, okay, it's uncomfortable, but I can do this. Right, right. And how... How does somebody move beyond the, the exam room? If, if somebody says, yeah, I, I want to become more of a leader, more of an advocate in the, in the profession, what are the, what are the steps? So I, I think the first step is obviously to make sure you're a member of your state association because that's the body that really manages the advocacy work in your state. Right. So membership is key, but beyond membership is volunteerism. You have to volunteer to be part of the committee structure that works in your state. And I often tell students when I'm asked this question, don't volunteer unless you plan to say yes <laughs> and give 100%. If, because that becomes your reputation, right? right. It's, it's why I believe I'm sitting in front of you here today because when I said yes, I did show up and I did do the work. Right. So that's the starting place. And then you begin to get a reputation for good work, obviously. And it's the next step to being noticed by others who can then say, we can count on her to do the task that we're asking because you have this experience that you've brought that people have had um, witness to. Right. Optometry is a legislative profession, that's not going to change. What's the demand for advocates and, and leaders in the, in the years? And, and who's going to fill that role? You know, when I think about where the, the new advocates will come from, it's the same place they've always come from, right? Those of us who are new to the profession, mm -hmm. who have to make a career out of the profession that we've chosen. And through that, knowing that it's legislated, I can't predict for you what the future holds or what that next thing will be, but there will always be challenge and opportunity. And so those who are actively in the middle of their careers, in my opinion, are the ones that must step up because mm -hmm. you will practice in the environment that you create through your advocacy efforts. And what I often tell students, and I believe is very, very true, you will work in in the place that is a product of your action or your inaction because change will occur and do you want to be part of it where you're actually shaping what the output will be or do you want to react to what others have created for you so whether people step up as they say to be advocates mm -hmm. you will be advocated for or against with or without you so i'm a person who wants to be involved i want to make sure that at least i tried to shape the outcome that will affect the career choice that I've made and the patients that I served. Now, one of the challenges that we often hear is that women ODs have multiple 
plates juggling. Um, advocacy takes time. How did you create that balance that allowed you to uh, add advocacy into your into your sort of daily routine? Maybe not daily routine, into your routine. You know, I, I think balance is a thing that we all struggle with. No matter what we have going on in our lives, there's balance that has to be created. And it isn't um, easy. There are going to be times when you're going to be a little bit extra pulled on the advocate side, or you might be a little bit more pulled on the home side or the practice side. But each one of us has to know that we've got a support system. So in my case, a very supportive husband who understood that this was valuable to me in my career, value to me personally, and was supportive. Mm -hmm of my taking part in those advocacy events. The other thing to remember about advocacy, it's not a, like an all on, all the time requirement. Right. You have times when it's busy and times when it's slow. Right. So to me, it never really felt like it was too much to do, but I think those of us who volunteer and say yes, it's just sort of inside us to give a lot. It's, mm -hmm. it's how we're wired. And I think sometimes, we're our own worst enemies, that we have to slow down, that we have to say, hey, time for me mm -hmm. versus, you know, giving of yourself all the time. So balance, yes, has, has some external forces, but I think very much it's part of how we're wired. And, and sometimes we have to make ourselves be in command of that balance. Now, how do you do that, though? That's the that's so, so often the challenge, right? We yeah. put ourselves last. Yes. So yes. so, you know, how do you make that determination, I'm going to say no to things or? You know, I, I would say, you know, I was very choiceful in, in the things that I said yes to and things that I said no to. Mm -hmm. I wanted to have more yeses than nos, mm -hmm. but I understood what I really could do with my time. And so I never would say no just to say no. I would say, I wish I could say yes, but because I'm doing one, two, three, whatever they may be. Mm -hmm. And that takes a fair bit of time along with the practice in my family. At this time, I can't say yes to your request. I think all too often people are just quick to say no. Mm -hmm. And then that is a reflection on you as well. So it's perhaps how we say no right. that allows us to get the balance that works. Because if not, our, our health may suffer, our relationships may suffer, and that's not good. That's an interesting point because I think also all too often people are likely to say yes, you know, <laughs> and and because saying no can be can be challenging. So yes. that's a that's a great idea to kind of put the no into context because if you say yes and then realize you have to back out or you have to back out of something else, that's that's a problem. And that's too. that that's the problem with a quick yes. I always like to say, let me give that some thought. Mm -hmm and get back to you. And it's just sleep on it at night because it might be exciting, but really think about what it's going to take because the reputation I never wanted, and I don't think anybody else does either, is, oh yeah, she'll say yes, but don't expect her on the conference calls, don't expect her in the committee meetings. Right. She's not gonna show up. Mm -hmm. That is as bad, maybe worse than having said no. Right. And, and so you are creating a network of people who know you by the work that you do. And so say yes and mean it. And when something goes awry, and it will, 
it's about being honest with people and just sharing what's going on in your life and to say, you know, maybe you need to step away, mm -hmm. but don't make that step away anonymous. Don't just not show up. Right. That's worse. Several years ago, the uh, optometry's meeting was in Washington, D.C. That was a great opportunity to sort of introduce the idea of advocacy to, to students, to, to colleagues. Tell us a little about that. You know, it was a very exciting time to participate. AOA in Washington, D.C. is like none other because you can combine optometry's meeting with the fact that you're right there in the nation's capital. And so the students came in droves, I will say. There were really, I think, um, just shy of 2,000 students that actually joined um, with, their, with their colleagues to uh, meet and have conversation and actually have meetings on the Hill. So that's always exciting as a new student to go with someone who's a veteran, if you will, at advocating and get, get to meet with either a, a member of Congress or members of their staff. And you, you heard from um, some Hill representatives at that, at that session. What was kind of their, their guidance to, to the audience? It was really exciting for Johnson & Johnson Vision at that time because we paired with um, Optometry's meeting in the AOA to bring the students a specific course that we called the Inside Scoop. And the Inside Scoop, what we did was, was actually much like you and I are doing now, except I was sitting in your seat. <laughs> and we had a former congressman, we had a former uh, Hill staffer, and a lobbyist with us. Okay. So we were able to bring firsthand information about what it means to partner with a lobbyist in your cause, what it means to actually get to talk to the policymaker, whether it's a legislator or a member of Congress, but that it's equally as important, perhaps maybe even a little more important, if you get to ask to have a meeting with a, an aide. Oftentimes, people say, oh, I don't get to meet the person, the, the congressman or the congresswoman, but it's the aides that are really tasked with understanding Mm. all of the bits of all of the bills to help that person make the appropriate decision. So I thought what was valuable was them learning that it's important not to dismiss when you have an appointment with an aide, that that's really quite powerful time. Right. And it's limited time, right? You have to really make use of that time. What, what was that takeaway? Yeah, I, I, I've watched a number of people struggle when they, when they have a meeting with uh, anyone mm -hmm. in um, an advocacy position get to their point. These are very busy people with lots of bills that they have to consider. Mm -hmm. So right out of the chute, you ought to be telling them whether you're for or against a bill. So oh. what is the, the number of the bill? Mm -hmm. And here's why I'd like you to support or oppose. I mean, right at the front so they know what your position is. Mm -hmm. Then get to the points that you think support the position or that will help them support that position with right. their constituents yeah. that are the voting public and your patients. Right, right. So it's not, uh, you're, you're not there to share all your knowledge. <laughs> you really need to focus. Yes, and, and sometimes I think even nerves get into that, right? Mm -hmm. Where we end up, just everything we can think of is coming out of our mouth. Mm -hmm. So you want to, and this goes back to one of your earlier questions about working with the state associations, what are the talking points on this issue. Because the association, whether the American Optometric Association or a state affiliate, will have a series of talking points. Be very familiar with the talking points. So that's just get to those talking points quickly. And anytime you can interject a real patient story, mm -hmm. 
story of harm, a story of success, mm -hmm. something that puts a real face and an illustration of a real person in front of that legislator, it's a very powerful moment. Uh, Dr. Alexander, thank you so much for, for being here today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. I hope you join us again next time on WL Voices. If you'd like to be part of our podcast series, please contact us. You can email us at wovoicesonline at gmail.com or via our website, womeninoptometry.com, on Facebook at WL Magazine, or through Twitter or Instagram at WomenODs. See you next time.